Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight and joining me from across the pond, if I was in Venice, this guy could haunt me. Uh, it's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am, I'm a little concerned right now, but uh, I'm okay. Um, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm very well, but I, obviously I don't want you to... Um, to pass away in order to haunt me of course but uh as we said last week uh i should really probably script these but i think it's more fun just to try and make them up on the spot because they'd be just as bad either way but no i'm good my, my man i'm very good um looking forward to diving into tonight's film uh as per with yourself uh, i don't believe i know your thoughts on this so uh I'm potentially going to be surprised or unsurprised at your reaction i think i know which way i'm going to be landing but yeah i'm not doing too badly my friend I uh, expelled some kidney stones from my body Oof. at the end of last week in a uh, act which isn't unfortunately new to me. But either way, I still hated every second of it. Uh, but it didn't stop me from going. Well, actually, it did stop me from going to watch a few films. But I got to watch tonight's film. But uh, yeah, other than that, a uh, rather unfortunate uh, event that happened last week, which put me out of action for a few days. I'm doing okay, JB. I'm doing very well. The power of BAMP compelled me and here i am but how are you doing my friend are you keeping florida safe and well yeah i'm doing pretty well i, I did not have to pass a kidney stone so i'm better than you by default um, you. did you keep it uh did you put it like in a little jar i did not my uh my boss actually said to me because i sent him a picture i was like also partly to say there you go i really did have one and also yeah look at that and i'd got rid of it by then and he said i'll keep it because i've never seen one before like damn it i could have kept it and put it in a jar but i did not um probably should have done i should have kept like a collection i could have paved my patio with it at some point soon but yeah no didn't keep it man uh wow um there's an episode of friends where joey keeps it it's like it's crosscut he's expelling a kidney stone and phoebe's having the babies um cuts back and (laughs) forth Um, i'm not saying which one's more painful i'm keeping out yeah, well, I mean, you can't possibly know for sure, but for <laughs> you, it'll it'll have to be the one you've done. So you know, just because yeah. you know what that feels like. But no, I'm, um, no unlike childbirth, I I, I don't want another kidney stone. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, things are going pretty well. Uh, just you know, going getting through the days and uh, counting down all the, until we get to some better movies. Um, coming out because this september is always a little a little lackluster um you know it's notorious for the industry if a movie is put in september they don't have faith in it um considering how uh death on the nile did i think it disappointed pretty hard for studios um so this one kind of getting dumped unceremoniously in september was a little bit surprising i think um or maybe not surprising i guess but uh you do still have the big cast in this um i don't know if if they're quite as big as death on the Nile, I feel like that was maybe a little bit more prestige overall, but we do have an Oscar winner, uh, stepping into this. So that's, you know, who knows, but, um, yeah. Uh, anything else before we get to our, our thoughts on not just the movie, but on this franchise, cause it is now oh. officially a franchise. Uh, I do not think so. I had a pumpkin spice latte today. So, but, uh, basic, I'm not basic Burke. I'm basic Matt. You know, Tumblr girl over here. I am fall ready, autumn ready. But uh, no, nothing else to add uh, from the from the real world. But let's now dive into the real world of films, which is what we're all here to talk about and hopefully to listen to as well. If you are new to the show, welcome. Each week, 
we give our spoiler-free thoughts and opinions on the week's biggest release or the most interesting or some cases the only release of the week uh and then in a few days time if necessary we will drop a spoiler mini-sode for the film this week we will of course be just dropping a spoiler mini-sode because we are talking about kenneth branner's latest murder mystery whodunit a haunting in venice so let's get on to the uh, tale of the tape before we start giving our thoughts on it. Mm. So as mentioned, it's uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, written uh, from a screenplay written by Michael Green and, of course, inspired by uh, adapted Agatha from Christie. Agatha Christie. Now, the script, now the cast, like you say, the the we look at the Knives Out films and they get stellar casts and talent across the board and some of the other Branner films have actually had some fabulous casts ensembles and i would agree with you that a haunting in venice it's not it's not necessarily any less impressive i'd say it's maybe a little less stacked than before yeah. but of course in the uh role of hercule poirot is kenneth Branner with his dodgy belgian accent uh, and the oscar winner michelle yo uh she she's here as mrs reynolds jamie dawn and dr leslie ferrier tina fey he, uh, she's a an author called Ariadne Oliver, uh, and then we have a plethora of supporting casts, including uh, Emma Laird, Camille Cotton, uh, Dylan Corbett, Beda Amira Almadri, uh, Fernando Poloni, and many, many more who fill out the cast here. But they are your kind of your big hitters for the film. Now, how what is the film about? We don't do spoilers, but we do read the synopsis. IMDb says, In post-World War II Venice, Poirot, now retired and living in his own exile, reluctantly attends a seance. But when one of the guests is murdered, it is up to the former detective to once again uncover the killer. So, standard fare here, no issues there. How is this film doing? Well, John, it's 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 pretty condensed across the board for all of the aggregates on Rotten Tomatoes. It's currently sitting at a 78% critic score and 73% with the audience. Pretty, you know, pretty uh, similar there. Metascore has this at 63 IMDB 6.8 out of 10 and Letterboxd 3.2 out of five. So I'm looking at that and thinking across the board is a very similar mindset here. We're looking at, kind of between six to seven out of ten if you really want to put a number on it everywhere fine okay Uh, if you want to see the film for yourself you can only see it in theaters uh, if it's safe for you to travel out and do so and also if you can do support cinema now jb mentioned that this is now a franchise it it is you know it's a trilogy of films but it is a Mm -hmm. franchise it's a series of films starting with murder on the orient express back in 2017 death on the nile uh, within the last few years, and now a haunting in Venice. A um, murder on the Orient Express, I thought was, you know, painfully okay. I know that's just no, 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 no. I'd say it was better than okay. It was, I thought it was pretty good. Murder on the Orient Express. I don't think it's great compared to other whodunits that came out in the same in and around that same time. Yeah, but I thought it was okay. Death on the Nile, I thought was awful. <laughs> I did not like Death on the Nile. We covered it on this show, and uh, as you guys will know, I was not a fan of that. Both films I had very impressive casts, but it goes to show that it doesn't matter who's in your cast. Look at the Fast and Furious; doesn't always mean you're going to get a great film. 
Here, Branner has taken it in a different direction. But before we talk about that, what what were your thoughts on those two films? Because I, I think I, so, I, I remember what you thought about <laughs> Death and the Nile, but I, I forget your thoughts on Orient. I think all three. Now, I have no knowledge of this character from the books. Like, I have yet to read an Agatha Christie novel. I haven't even watched the uh, the previous version of Murder on the Orient Express, and I think they did Death on the Nile too. Um, and I've not seen either of those. So this, my whole exposure to Agatha Christie and this character is from Brana. <laughs> and so I don't know if if I am assuming it should be a different tone than what he ends up giving, because it feels silly at times, and it's parts of the uh, the way like the interviews are conducted feel uh style for style's sake um especially in uh there's one a big moment at the end of well when he interviews daisy ridley's character in murder on the orient express it's like outside in the snow and it didn't make any sense why they did that yeah and like it's throughout every interview is like in a different location and it just feels like production design nightmare for the sake of having like oh what if we did this and it's like why would he do that you know, there could be a reason. There could be a reason why a detective would choose to interview this one suspect in the cold versus the other suspects. And I think sometimes it makes sense in the story, but most of the time it's more like this would be a cool shot. This would look yeah, cool. Yeah. And that's the whole vibe I think the franchise has is it's more like what what can we do to be either absurdly silly or absurdly extravagant just for the sake of those things rather than lending to the story or to the character or characters. And it annoys me. Uh, it bugs me um, because it, it just feels um, what's the word uh, indulgent um, completely. And given Brana's kind of, you know, Shakespearean back background, I'm probably spot on with that. It's probably very much a franchise. He just loves, you know, in, indulging and in. he's putting all the paprika he can find on the sandwich. <laughs> and it's a lot, um, which it, it, it takes me out of the films a lot of times because I'm just I'm either laughing at it or I'm just annoyed by the things that are happening on the screen. It's like when Gail Gadot says the very infamous line of uh, we have enough champagne to fill the Nile. Oh. It, that sums up my kind of attitude towards the tone of these where like Knives Out can be silly. But it never feels like out of place to the franchise like it. And again, I have no. It's not me basing on like how I read the novels and now I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel like the books. It's like, I have nothing else but this. I just don't like the way this is being executed. Because even while I didn't, I think Murder uh, on the Orient Express is overall the best one. It still felt less than to me than what I was hoping for when I went into it. Like I was really excited because I liked, I liked the idea of a mystery. Like Knives Out really clicks for me. Um, I like a good detective. I like to fi- I like I like a journalist story in the same vein. You know, someone solving a, a mystery is always really compelling for me, especially if I can also solve it alongside of them. Like if it's actually built into the plot and not just a reveal at the end that they unlock. Um, and th- these films always feel a little less than. Uh, I will say though, of the three, I think Death on the Nile is by far the weakest. Um, this one has some good stuff in it but I, I, i'll hold off my full thoughts until okay. it gets to me but yeah that's kind of my take i i don't feel like i don't think i'm on the same wavelength with what braun is doing with this franchise for me to enjoy it 
that's fair enough. Yeah, the, for me, that the mysteries aren't mysterious enough, and this is going to sound proper like headline, but you know, the the thrillers aren't thrilling enough, and you know, it, mm. all of the yeah. the genres yeah, yeah. aren't genreing enough, and that's kind of like you said, doesn't feel like a yeah. kick, does it? That's my major complaint with this one is well, uh, yes. it, it it's the genres that is dabbling in. It feels like someone who looked at them is like, yeah, these have this type of stuff, right? Okay, let's just throw that in there for no real reason. Like, I don't understand why it's in those movies, but I'm going to use it because it's in those movies. And, oh, it's it's rough. It's a, it's a strange one. Well, let's not forget, though, that Kenneth Brown himself is an Oscar winner, and he's an Oscar-winning writer. Best original screenplay for Belfast uh, last year, year before last. So, um, alongside Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh. Now let's get into it. Haunting in Ve- uh, Haunting in Venice. Um, I don't mind these films being a little bit silly because my understanding of yeah. the, f- the books is that they're you know it's a bit of it's a bit of old British silliness. You know, is not it's mm. self aware enough. Obviously, they try to the, the the mysteries are taken seriously or the twists and that, but you know they're they're a bit silly along the way. They play into the kind of the absurdity of the premise. But here now we have got uh we mentioned up top a film about poirot who's in retirement a year or two after world war Two, um and he is enticed or f- strong-armed pretty much to go into a seance by his um by his friend and crime novelist ariadne oliver who has based a lot of her stories on the great poirot uh so we're already looking at seances. It's it's Halloween night. Let's not forget that it's on Halloween. They're at a seance. We're leaning into you'd assume horror, but it it doesn't. We we're leaning into thriller. Nah, it, it doesn't even want to really want to do that. And it's leaning into mystery. No, not really, because I think this one has the least enticing of the mysteries of all three of the films. There's also the one which, if I could be so bold, I I, I figured out not early at all, but not long before it was revealed it's you and i know it's you and it turned out being the person i thought it was now what did i think about the film i thought this was oh so dreadfully dull dreadfully dull i i I agree with you though death and annihil is is a worse film death and annihil is just abysmal a haunting in venice isn't necessarily it's not an abysmal film but it's i just was so bored during it i really really was so bored Considering as a whodunit, we're meant to be engaged with what is going on, unraveling the mystery, buying into the characters, uh, and the fact that it is a seance on Halloween, hopefully getting a few chills along the way. I, I did not, and I could not, because there was just nothing here for me to cling on to, JB. You mentioned the indulgence and the uh, unnecessary extravagance of some of the dialogue throughout. There's just so much dramatic language, which made me roll my eyes so much. Mm. Characters say things like, ah, oh, there's been so long since laughter lined these walls. Great. I've seen that on Tumblr. He once sung. Now he just cries. Some things can't be seen. If there is a soul, you gave her its peace. Just yeah, stop it. Just shut up. <laughs> just It's so unnaturalistic to, to speak like that. Um, and I know we're in a different time period, but, you know, I, I mean, what, what can I, like, okay, let me start with the cast. I, I, I don't want to like, crap on this film overly. I don't think anyone in the cast, actually no saying that. I don't think anyone in the cast really comes out of this with any real kind of splendor. I think Camille Cotton 
she's really very good i think as the the housekeeper mm. of the uh of rowena and rowena is played by uh i don't remember now because it's not on my list but oh no i know who rowena is she's part one of the characters but uh, the mm-hmm. the house that they go to belongs to Rowena, and um, she's the housekeeper. I think she's I think she's really quite good. Um, I think the little boy in this, yeah, I think he's very good for. Um, he's from Belfast too, which that's right. Yeah, Brana before um, Jude Hill, he's he's very good. I think, and you know, Kenneth Branagh's just doing his thing, and uh, Michelle Yeoh is woefully underused. Um, mm. so, I mean, she's she's fun. She has one fun moment in it where I think she just gets to let her hair down a little bit, but. She's just so under underused. It's a waste of her talent. Other than that, it's not that everybody else is bad. I I just can't tell you what their characters are called, and I don't really know what they did. And I know a couple of them wanted to move to America, but I'm not can't really remember why. But they did because the film told me, and I was meant to feel something. But um, yeah, I, so I wasn't a the the characters didn't grasp me. Now, was there any chills in this? I do not think there was. There was a lot mm. of jump scares there's a few jump scares so many jump scares hilariously most of the time when there was a jump scare it would just it would just like snap gut to smash cut mm-hmm. to poirot staring and like dramatically turning his head left or turning to the right like an owl to stare i thought what the hell is that choice directorially like stylistic choice it was awful um we, said, we don't get tension we don't get character development i think a lot of the talent is wasted here i don't think the mystery is particularly compelling but i like the fact that they went down this route i think some of the production design is good i think i like the way it looks i like the setting i'm a bit of a stickler jb i loved knives out because it was set in that old mansion and it had that kind of i don't know it just felt right i loved the glass onion and i and i really enjoyed that contemporary billionaire setting mm-hmm. but something about that old mansion old rickety mansion just works for me in these situations that bit more i think it's just convention but so I liked the setting here. No issue with that. Um, some of the imagery was, was, was good in terms of like the, the horror aspect, if you will, and there's not much of it, but it's just, it's just lacking an awful lot. The inciting incident happens about 35 to 40 minutes in, and the film is only about an hour and 45 minutes. So it moves at enough pace. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I sit here and say, John, uh, John films are far too long. Blah, blah, blah. I don't think the film was too long. Uh, I no. think it moves quite nicely, actually which is not something I say too often, but there's just not, there was just not enough in it to make me really care. Like when characters met their end or when something happened to them, I go, okay, who's next? Or let, let, let's, let's get past this. It's, I just wanted a little bit more. I was, I remember saying on this show that when the trailer came out, I thought it had promise. I thought it looked quite good. I thought I liked the direction they're taking it in that they're going, for this kind of autumn season, early spooky season, they're dropping us the haunt, a haunting in Venice, you know, something which could maybe appeal to the horror heads out there or the, the mystery fans and you know, send a shiver up the spine a bit. But they didn't lean enough into that at all. I mentioned with the other two films, you know, they, they, they didn't play around in the genres that they, they try to enough. And it's the same here. There were echoes or, or hints at a horror film. Here's, here's some jump scares. There's some hints at the thrillers or mystery with um, with the way that the way the film was shot and the setting, but not enough to make this particularly compelling. And that is the worst part for me, JB, is that I just was not compelled and I wasn't really that bothered by who did it. And that's the sad part. 
because I just wasn't invested at all. I liked the way it looked. I thought the music was a little bit overkill at times as well. Um, I was kind of in, I was getting through it more on hope more than anything else. Hope that something towards the end would happen, which, which would make me go, yes, I get it now. Or this ties it up or this is where the fun begins. But I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I just got moments of somebody turning on a boiling hot tap, seeing the tap water is hot and thinking, hmm, I'm going to put my hand under there and doing it. And I'm thinking, what? And and and, and somebody will see uh, a bob bobbing for apples. They'll put their head in it, whilst you know, whilst whilst they've whilst they've already seen some spooky stuff. What are you doing? Silly decisions. Um, I don't know. It's, there's just a lot about this which wasn't I wasn't keen on. There's a bird that's locked in a child's room. I would have expected mm. there to be more bird crap all over that room as well. So, cost, so set set designers. I need more bird crap. But no, I, I listen. I'm I'm speaking of crap. I know I am all over this film there were elements i enjoyed like i said it's more the technical stuff the the narrative the thematically the everything else just didn't grab me jb better than death on the nile that isn't really saying much this series or franchise or trilogy just does not work for me i really want it to because i really love the genre john of whodunits murder mysteries i genuinely do but i need the murder mystery at the core of it to be compelling and i need to give a damn about the characters and i just didn't they were just flat uninteresting and the biggest sin for me my friend was i was just bored throughout um you though my friend you said that you preferred this to death on the nile uh, but yeah. thought murder was the uh orient express was the strongest overall uh what do you mm-hmm. think then about the thought about this film sorry dive in my my biggest issue with this film is is all of the horror trappings that Brana's employing feel artificial and superficial. They're just there because it, it feels like his research was throwing on a few movies like, oh, they use a lot of close-up and fisheye lens. Let's just do everything in that. Uh, extreme high angle or extreme low angle, every shot will be that instead of ever actually employing them in a way that would make it feel like the right tone. I mean, it's... He's just using them throughout. And then at one point we get like a, a crosscut section where there's a fight happening and they're going into a basement and he gets the snorri cam out, which if uh, listen, if you're not familiar with the snorri cam, it is, um, it was kind of made famous from hangover. It existed already before that, but I think hangover is when a lot of people took note of it, but the camera is mounted to the chest of the actor. So the background moves, but the face is always in the same spot on the frame. So it's very disorienting. And it was used in The Hangover because he was, like, drunk and disoriented. And now it's used a lot for, like, a character who's freaking out. Um, it's akin to, but not the same as a, a Zali shot where it's it's that we're supposed to be in the psychology of the character. It kind of works in that moment. But, again, it just feels like the trappings of horror films and not someone who really understands how to get that tone or that vibe to the audience because not once Mm -hmm. do I ever feel afraid or scared. I just recognize things that you would see in horror films. And that I think really speaks volumes to Brana not getting that genre. And it's not a genre I've seen him really mess with elsewhere. Um, So maybe it was, this was an attempt of a genre exercise. Uh, The setting and the, the, the overall presentation of the film seems to want to make you think you're getting into a horror film. It's not that. And and in a way, this is most akin to Scooby-Doo uh, because what our detective is claiming is that there is no supernatural things, but everything he's experiencing is making him doubt his own belief, which is essentially Scooby-Doo, right? Like Scooby-Doo is always, is it or is it not supernatural? Um, 
and that's what we're supposed to kind of be grappling with with the film. Many of the characters totally believe, um, and or, there's a very familiar uh, scene where he solves a part of the case early, very much like in Glass Onion, where you're like, oh, is it over? Did we solve it already? Um, and then it, it, you know, not quite. We didn't quite get all of the stuff. Um, and it, it just doesn't feel like it's it invests you in the characters or in their their issues in a way that feels like you care enough to, to be drawn into the plot. Where, like you said, it's not a slow film. It's not a long film. But, it, man, is it tedious just to sit through? Like, you're just like, okay, um, can we please do anything else? And I think some of the actors are having a lot of fun. I think Tina Fey's having a lot of fun. I actually really like the kid, uh, Jude Hill. I, I was, mm. if, if they had cast incorrectly for that role, that would have been the most obnoxious character. But he's yeah. able to be precocious and yet endearing, uh, more so than almost it's every other character. with the big name actors as well. Yeah, and that's impressive for a lot of reasons. Jamie Dornan, the poor guy, like he just, you know, <laughs> since Fifty Shades. Oh, he's in Belfast too. I forgot that. Um, yeah, he's also he's the kid's dad in, in Belfast. Um, I like him in Belfast. I never, yeah. I never thought about that. Uh, yeah, I didn't until literally just a second put that together that they were father and son in Belfast as well. Um, I think Belfast is Brana's best movie. Uh, that's I really like that film. Um, there might be other films out there that I like of his, I, like Thor is solid, I guess, you know, like, um, but, and I, I will say uh, a spoiler for death on the Nile. <laughs> I was really hoping we were going to get some, some talk about the mustache because there's so much emphasis on that mustache and that freaking an origin story. Yeah. that I was like, is the haunting going to be his lip? Is his lip come back from the grave? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> So, you know, the, the fact that that was such a major plot point in that movie and then it's really not relevant here whatsoever um, is probably a good thing. But nevertheless, I was a little like, well, you invested so much time in that other movie. But, um, yeah, I, th there's there's definitely good here. I don't I, I also sound like I'm just saying it's bad. Um, there are things that are interesting. I, I do think the I think Brana's having a blast playing this character. He's having and I fun. I don't dislike the character. That's the thing. I, I am invested in him. I do question how great of a detective he is, other than we're told frequently that he is. Um, it doesn't feel like I, I believe Benoit Blanc is an incredible detective um, based on what he does in the movies, where a lot of his characters, other characters telling us that he's the best detective, him being arrogant about being better than the police and things like that. But like, a lot of times what we see him do is not that impressive. And even as a filmmaker, uh, this, I will save details for spoilers, but there's a lot of overuse of imagery that I actually think take away from the story being a mystery um, that I'll talk about in spoilers. But uh, it's like so much of this movie is too much. It's all a little bit too much. There's too much set design. There's too much... Uh, overacting or, or um, enthusiasm behind the characters like they're they're playing it like tongue-in-cheek more winky than it, maybe it should be um, like Tina Fey is having a blast as like this you know American author from the but it feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch performance more so than her like acting you know it's like 
if that makes sense. Like, there's this, like, they know that they're in a movie and they're being these characters rather than being the characters. And I think that's part of what keeps us at a distance from them is that they are just performing for the sake of performing rather than like making us invest. Like, I don't feel like they're invested. I feel like they're just like having fun. And I mean, from my understanding, like a lot of this was like actual sets and stuff. So maybe they were just having a blast and they were like, yeah, whatever. We don't care if this movie's good. Um, But so, yeah, it's, it's lackluster. It's, you know, if you're just looking for, aesthetically pleasing visuals uh it's mostly there again i think some of the cinematography is way over the top uh him trying to hit the genre that isn't successful but um yeah overall man just not not invested not excited not having a not having a bad time but not having a good time either like kind of like the people at the party just kind of like yeah yeah guess we're stuck here I think about it the more i'm thinking i just didn't like this film it's just there's just nothing to it Uh, i don't want to I would hate to say this uh, on air, but I'm going to anyway. I feel like Orin, with Murder on the Orient Express, you know, Branagh really put himself into that film. I think he really, mm-hmm. really tried. I say tried, but, you know, really passion project came through. Death on the Nile, yeah, it became a little bit more indulgent. And here I just think the focus has been lost. It doesn't feel like the craft is as strong as it was in that first film. And even though that wasn't, a great film. I think it was a, it was a perfectly good murder mystery. And then you look at something like Belfast, which is so damn good, so well written, so well acted, so well directed, so well framed and presented. Just nobody is nobody can I don't think can question Branagh's talent. You know, and I know there are feel like yourself. I'm always his biggest fan in terms of his projects or or characters, whatever. But I think you know most people would be hard pressed to say, oh, yeah, the guy's a hack because he's not at all. And I'm not saying that this film is the work of one. I just don't feel like the passion bleed through as much as it has done on something like Belfast. Obviously that's very personal, but or something like murder on the Orient Express. I just feel like there was more, you know, he had more to say in that and, and he was trying to, you know, impress a little bit more of what he can do. I didn't feel that here. It felt too run of the mill, felt too ho-hum and painfully boring as well. So yeah. don't, you know, stopping short of saying he didn't care because that is clearly not true. I just don't feel like I feel like the kind of levels of love have, have dropped down five percent, maybe from where they were on Orion Express. It just doesn't feel uh, like some of the editing is so choppy in this film, so choppy in this. It's it's mm. it's jarring part way through, like from halfway on. Some of the editing really is noticeably bad for my eyes, and I, 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 that's not uh, something I would think of when i think of a, a branner film because like you say he's a thespian he has love and craft for his work this film just looks like it was almost like the studio said we want another one of these for halloween next year can you do it okay fine that's how it felt a little bit up to me and really mm-hmm. wanted to like it more jb but i i i, I just didn't under more i thinking about it the more i'm hearing you talk and kind of digesting i'm like yeah i just didn't like it Again, I don't, I don't, don't hate it. It's not a but awful film. I think I just the experience I had. I said, yeah, I just didn't like it. I wanted more JB, and it just left me feeling hollow. I don't disagree, but I'm gonna have to cleanse the palate somewhat shortly. But um... 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's do it by moving on to our next segment where we can talk about something which isn't this film, but we'll be back in a few days' time to talk about A Haunting of Venice in our full spoiler review. But, JB, let's move on to our next segment, which we call Chuffed Headlines. And here, John and myself, we take a movie headline or pop culture headline that caught our attention for whatever reason, and we share it with each other and with all of you guys. So, uh, JB, what have you gone for this week? I went with an article that's uh, the headline is 10 horror movies that were way weirder than advertised. Um, nice. And I figured, I, I know I've been doing these lists a lot, but I kind of like the, uh, there hasn't been like news because there's nothing in production. Um, yep. The strike's sure. still happening and we, I don't want to keep bringing up the strike every time. Uh, so I thought well, something like this could be a little bit of fun. So I'm going to read through the 10 movies and I haven't seen all of them. I've seen most of them. Um, but they were marketed as one thing, and it turns out they're weirder than expected. Um, I'm not going to read through all of them, but number 10 is Fall, which I think was last year, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, Barbarian, which totally agree with. Uh, that movie is marketed correctly, though, because you need to not know what that movie is about. If you haven't seen Barbarian, go see it. Uh, the Platform, which was not marketed at all because it was a Netflix uh, streamer here, um, but definitely not if you like watch what it what it, the premise is it is way weirder than what the premise is um smile same as uh barbarian mm-hmm. um let's keep going here uh sorry i have to actually like, click next to get the list mandy um i don't know if i agree with that one because i feel like what i saw of mandy was a lot of the weird stuff but it is still really weird so i'm not saying it's not weird i just feel like eh, I, everything i heard about that movie was that it was weird so yeah maybe i that never one thought should- it was going to be standard yeah, now you and I, not a fan of Mandy, where many other Dude. people were. Uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Um, I, I kind of agree with that, because that movie looks like just a zombie movie on the surface, mm-hmm. but it gets pretty weird. Um, not like the other two, though, but uh, The Ritual, very weird movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, going, going, going. Uh, the Menu, uh, definitely, I think, weirder than maybe people were expecting from the initial trailers. I love that. Me too. A big fan of the menu. Um, now, I've never seen this one. Jug Face. Um, are you familiar with Jug Face, Matt? Uh, I'm familiar with. I've, I've, yeah, familiar with, but I, I have I have never seen it. It's uh, I know it's uh, uh, Larry Fessington is in it, and we covered one of his films the other day. And I think uh, easily on this list, number one is Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, it's The Lighthouse. That one's freaking wild um i don't think most people who went to see that knew what they were getting into the mermaid stuff and even the seagull stuff like there's some <laughs> wild things in that film um 
But man, if you like it, if you're on that movie's wavelength, it's a lot of fun. I'm trying to find a film, think of a film that I went into that wasn't on that list that I went into with a preconception and was like, okay, that was nothing like I thought. And I loved it. Uh, I'm desperately trying to think of one now, uh, but they're, they're all eluding me. But um, I know I've, I've gone into films which I thought were going to be not great. And I loved like Ready or Not, for example, and I thought it was going to be a bit ho-hum. Um, loved it. But um, I'm, I'm yeah. so, only God forgives. <laughs> I'm going into that thing it's going to be Uh-oh. one thing and it was something completely different and not something completely, completely enjoyable either I'd say yeah I would agree with that for sure um, have you got any that you like, can think of I'm scrolling through my list of horror films I feel like there's definitely Great several um, that Great show. Uh, you know that would meet that criteria I, obviously Barbarian on that list but like yeah. when I went to see Barbarian I had no idea what I was getting into and it was incredibly weird, but in the best way imaginable. Um, one that I don't think was very good, but we're all going to the world's fair. Uh, a lot of people I think <laughs> yeah, put yeah. on that list that that movie gets pretty weird. Um, I did not enjoy Martyrs that movie. was one as well. I'm going to say, just going to chuck that in there right now. What was it? Martyrs French film oh, oh, uh, oh. from the kind of French new wave horror. I thought it was going to be one thing and it took a detour part way through and it turns out to be the biggest like kind of like, head mess film. One of the, what well, it's, it's like one of those infamous films where people say, Oh, what's a really kind of messed up film and horror film. And people will say, you know, Serbian film, they'll throw something like martyrs in as well. That, that I, I watched that film at home and when it finished, I remember I've told the story before. I think I've said it on this show. I'm not sure, but I've sat and stared at the screen for about 15 minutes because I, you know, in sh- kind of shook. I'm like, what have I just watched? I enjoyed the film. I mean, it's not an enjoyable film whatsoever, but I just remember watching, just staring at the black screen and thinking, I can't, I'm, I cannot compel myself to move because what have I just witnessed? That is definitely one martyrs. Yeah. Um, man, there's so many, cause I guess this genre kind of does that anyway. Like you don't, some of these movies go to go weird, you know, like that's their whole ambition. Um, like I, I hatching from uh 2022 oh. i thought it was weirder than i was expecting from the premise which <laughs> was a weird premise but it, like watching it there's stuff that is in that movie where you're like whoa that's i love that film so for yeah it's incredible but man definitely um <laughs> hits on some of that weird stuff that you're not anticipating um like uh, one that i think is like weird to be weird is uh, we need to do something um yeah 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 because it, like, but that movie I think is like it's it's almost trying to one up its own weirdness, like scene after scene. I think it's successful in doing it, but it is definitely trying to do that. And then you have movies like Tit- uh, Titan, right? Um, yep. Oh, yeah. That is weird for the like. That's the whole thing. You could argue, uh, um, what like um, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer or Dogtooth, which are not Lanthimos films. Full horror, though. I guess you would maybe like they're like horror adjacent um men by alex garland i guess I, oh, if you'd seen annihilation and yeah. you know that it's may not be fairly straightforward but i think men including me took a few few people off guard maybe yeah i, I agree with that for sure that, that movie, halloween uh, ends because we thought we we're going to get a good film and it was bloody awful and weird but not for some no, uh, big tuna yeah. he will argue that it's weird in a good way but yeah Damn um tuna. But that is a what that is one though which I think a lot of people, 
including Horrorheads, went in with this preconception that it was going to be Michael Myers versus Laurie, the the showdown throughout. And it really isn't. So if anyone who's seen the film knows it, you know, that is in the film, but it's relegated to the very end. And that isn't what the film's about. So I guess, you know, I'd throw that on, on a list like this because it is weirder than advertised because they tried to make yeah. this weird Christine-esque coming-of-age film when it's the culmination of a Halloween franchise. So I'd probably, I'd throw it on for my own sanity. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, the, the marketing definitely sold a different product than yes. what we got. So, okay, I mean, we could go on forever with these. I'm I'm like yeah. frantically scrolling through my letterbox trying to think of anything, um, but I, I've only got up to twenty twenty two still. And uh, but they're the ones I could think of. But that's a, a lovely. I, I have no issue, my friend, with you bringing lists to the show because I do enjoy a good list, unless it's like Top Gun Maverick crap theories about Maverick ah. being dead all along, but. I do like these kind of things because it gets the conversation going. And if anyone listening has any weird horror films that actually ended up being weirder than advertised, Barbarian is a good shout. I remember um, being told by so many people or seeing that don't even read the synopsis. Don't watch a trailer that's going blind. And I'm so glad that I did for that film, JB. I I agree. Uh, My one, JB, um, it is, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino and the MCU again. But we're flipping it this time. Uh, This is from Variety by Zach Scharf. The headline is Chris Evans agrees with Tarantino that Captain America is the star of Marvel movies, not him. And also says no time soon when asked about a potential MCU return. So Chris Evans was being interviewed by GQ recently and went on to say that he kind of agrees with Tarantino when he said the director said that Marvel killed the movie star when he said, you know, Captain America and Thor, they're the stars. People go to see them. They don't care who plays them. Now, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that because of the reasons why that Chris Evans actually gets into. But Chris Evans says that was the beauty of working on Marvel films. You never really had to be front and center, even in your own film sometimes. Uh, and he said, you know, Quentin said it recently and I was like, yeah you know he's right the character is a star you're there but you don't feel the burden of it um kevin feige then kind of disagreed also telling gq that you know he's he said i think it was something that chris and maybe maybe rdj would tell themselves during these films because it was kind of helpful to them in order to not feel the weight of the the pressure and the process and the characters and the expectation uh, but so he doesn't agree he's saying in certain cases it's not true and then when asked about coming back to the MCU, this is where I kind of look at what Evans says and thinks, um, kind of playing against yourself there. He was asked, you know, are you going to come back? And he said, I'll never say never because it's such a wonderful experience playing Captain America, but I'm also very precious, precious with it. It's something that I'm very proud of. And like I said, sometimes I can't believe it even happened and I wouldn't want the black eye if it felt like a cash grab or it didn't live up to the expectations or it just felt like it wasn't connected to that original thing. So no time soon. He goes on to say that, um, you know, he's, he's, he also wants to maybe act a little bit less, spend more time with his family because those films actually helped him become financially secure. Fair play. I dig it. He also goes on to say, look, he hasn't got any Oscars. He's not lumped in with certain actors in certain uh in certain pigeonholes so he can kind of flip between roles and come and go as he wants um but he he obviously they say he's blessed with his acting and his 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 being a role model it isn't going to stop anytime soon acting 
which is good to hear. But so, so I'm, I'm reading here that Chris Evans is saying, you know, you know, you don't really feel the burden of the character because he's a star. And then later on, he says, you know, I'm very precious about the role of Captain America because he's the one who, and yes, there was that awful film decades ago, but he is the archetype for Captain America now. So in fact, you are the star, Chris, you are the man who brought Captain America to the screen. So, you know, you, you, people came to see you and you're, and you're aware of that. Uh, and you have that bond with the character. So I do think maybe it was a little bit for me, it kind of feels almost a bit like a bit of a modest answer that, you know, yeah, those films that made billions, it wasn't because of me, it was because of the character and you were, you know, I think there's a little bit of that as well, but um, it's interesting to hear this ongoing debate, John, do has Marvel killed the movie stars, Marvel killed film, blah, 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 blah. all these directors coming out to get a headline when they've got a film coming out or something or a book in, in Tarantino's case. But mm. it's interesting to hear one of the main figureheads of the MCU come out and say, no, don't disagree with them. Actually, I was the guy in the suit, but I felt like people didn't come to see me. People wanted to see Captain America. My understanding just from social media is people love Chris Evans as Captain America. He is Captain America. That is America's ass. That's what people want. It's, you know, and that's because yeah. of Chris Evans. So, um, what are you thinking about this, my friend, in terms of, you know, Chris Evans coming out and he's not outright saying what Quentin said was spot on, but he's saying, yeah, I, I do believe people were coming to see the characters more so than the actors. What are you thinking, man? I think that's very true. Um, having taught high school film for many, many years, um, the oblivious nature students tend to be towards the actors um, with few exceptions. Uh, mm-hmm. But they mostly go for characters or they'll refer to, Oh, that's Captain America over that's Chris Evans. And what there has to be context to this conversation um, to the point. And that was my initial thought. I was like, well, what was Tarantino's point in that? And it is a shift in terms of in the, the fifties and sixties and the the height of the studio, putting Humphrey Bogart's name on a poster meant people were going to come see that. We have evidence this year that what a person who is usually called our last movie star, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's Tom Cruise because last year, Top Gun Maverick, a movie that isn't an IP that a lot of people, we didn't think a lot of people would flock to, but we were all like, Oh, well it must be because of Tom Cruise. But if you look at Tom Cruise's career, no movie of his has ever done the thing that Maverick did. No. No. And then here comes no, Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible Part 6. And Tom Cruise front and center. And it, it underperforms for, for what they were hoping, right? Especially compared to Maverick last year. So, you know, we don't have... even. I mean, if usually when I hear these talks about the last movie stars, Tom Cruise, Will Smith, before the slap... Um, <laughs> there's maybe two or three other actors who qualify... But none of them, their name alone on a poster is not enough um, to get people to come see the movie. And I would have argued pre-end of Iron Man, you know, in the MCU, that Downey Jr. was proving to be contrary to that, right? People seem to love Robert Downey Jr. But then if you look at his movies that are not MCU related, Mm -hmm. they are not drawing people into the theater. So... I think that is the concern that Tarantino is maybe expressing with that sentiment. In the old days, having John Travolta in your movie meant people would come see it because John Travolta's in it. Yeah. Now people are drawn more to IP and or character. And we see 
the detriment to that um, with what movies were getting uh, greenlit from studios, right? Um, and this year, the Barbie film is going to be the proof of that detriment because mm-hmm. what the studio seems to be getting is not making original films, you know, that maybe use an IP, but also, you know, tell a compelling story that have interesting voices, have great cast, but instead that, well, we just need to make more IPs. We're going to get a Polly Pocket movie. We're going to get a Hot Wheels movie. We're going to get, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the sad thing is I don't have the numbers to prove them wrong. Like, I think those movies that I just listed it when, when, and if they ever actually get made, probably won't be as good as the Barbie movie unless unless maybe we're wrong and they learn a lesson and they start giving you know, Ari Aster, you want to do the Polly Pocket movie? And it's like, oh, you know, love that. Um, but more likely it's going to be, hey, journeyman director who you make a dozen movies for us a year. Will you make this uh, as good as the Barbie movie? He's like, I'll make it. And you're like, OK, as good as the Barbie movie? Like, no, I'll make it. And then we get it and it's there and people go to see it because they recognize the property. But um. I think that is the concern with the ending of the, the movie star is that people are, and it, it, it's shocking to me um, that because they, they latch on to internet presence, right? If you are a celebrity that is both popular on the internet as yourself and you're in a movie, we do see, a, a, I think there's evidence to say people will come for those movies. Not all the time. But more than if you're just an actor, and I don't mean that, I'm saying it from their perspective, they just see you as that character now, not as the actor. I was always and still am very attached to the the actors. If I like an actor and they're in something, I'm going to go watch it. Um, 100%. But it does seem culturally that that's shifted. And that's disappointing because the actors usually make the movies great or the actors make the characters great. Um, they so do the writers and so do the directors and the cinematographers make the characters look great and the editors make them do things correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the character doesn't exist without all of those pieces building them. And um, the actors who can embody a character in a way that is is memorable and fulfilling, like whether we're talking long term, like Harrison Ford as either Han Solo or Indiana Jones, or we're talking you know, one-off characters where Humphrey Bogart plays a different character. And I think every single movie, I don't think he has a sequel, but I you know, think he did. Um, he's tremendous in all of those characters, even though you still see Bogart in all of those characters, right? Like it, he's, there's reflections of that same person in those characters. Um, or Michael Sarah, who's, you know, going to always be a little neurotic and a little, you know, odd and quirky. Um, and I latch onto that more so than those individual characters. But um, I, I, I do think it's both. I, I just think it's, it's like the chicken or the egg. You know, what when you look at, or it's the, the, the face or the vase, some blind spotting reference. Um, oh, I like that. If you look at the movie and you see the actor playing the character, or if you look at the movie and you see the character and maybe forget that a real person is embodying them, will change how you... And, attach yourself and it does feel like culturally more people are attaching to the characters now than the people playing them and i think that's disappointing because it it either pigeonholes or shackles them into a role long term and uh they don't get to stretch or flex out their their muscles i mean look at pattinson and stewart got so attached to like the the fan base of twilight 
mm-hmm. only look at them as as um, Edward and Bella for so long, and yet both of them have a tremendous indie careers that most people haven't seen their films. Yeah, yep. Because they're indie films, you know. But yeah. I, I don't know. It's an interesting uh, thing to I, I, to analyze, kind of over the history of cinema and how our relationship to actors have changed so much. It's true. It's it's difficult nature of fandom though as well, and also well the industry because I don't disagree with anything you say. But if if in the next if in Avengers Secret Wars they're like oh yeah, Iron Man's coming back and he's being uh, played by Miles Teller, still the same character, still still Tony Stark the same one you've always known, but we're getting Miles Teller to play him. Captain America's back. Austin Butler's going to play him. People would lose their mind. Because they they want to see Chris Evans and they want to see Robert Downey Jr. as the character because they are there to for me they are there to see those actors subconsciously maybe more than outwardly but I, I can't believe for a second that if they recast them and say that it's a continuation that people would not lose their minds about it because yeah they're there to see Thor and all and, and that but. They also want to see Chris Hemsworth's performance as Thor because he made the character what it is, same as RDJ. Can you imagine somebody else playing Tony Stark as a continuation of that character? Yeah. Uh, no, and people would lose their mind. They so would. it's a funny one because what you've just said is 100% true. And it was, it was only as you were saying it where I thought, but- imagine if it recast and just said, yeah, just like, like they did with um, Bucky or whatever his name is. Uh, I know they made a little in joke in the film, but just did that, and I got somebody new in. But then suddenly, the the pendulum would swing back to we need this actor because we will only see it if it's him or her. But the thing is, though, is that they're not looking at it as the actor; they're looking at it as that person suddenly different. Like if you went instead of you went to work tomorrow, if I went as Matt tomorrow, hopefully all of your coworkers would be like, "What the heck is going on? Why are you here?" Um, where's Matt? And I'd be like, I'm Matt. Or like, there's the episode of the office where there's Asian Jim and everyone, like they're messing with Dwight and like denying that he's always been Asian. It's cool of you that you've never noticed kind of thing. Like that's most people aren't objecting to the fact that it's not Robert Downey Jr. But that is not Tony Stark that they know. Right. Like, um, there was a, this is, it's so weird that this is what sticks in my head, but diary of a wimpy kid, they replaced Roderick. Right. (laughs) And there was an internet backlash to the point where it was not my roderick was a slogan jesus and not my roderick because it it was the same character but a different actor and people were like nope don't accept it that's not talking about the reboot of the franchise either i'm talking like it was all the other actors were the same but a different actor playing roderick and they were like not having it and again it wasn't because they loved the other actor it's because in their eyes he was roderick now and i think that's an important distinction here is that most of them aren't upset that it's not Robert Downey Jr. or that it wasn't Chris Evans, but that that act, they know that that character is that actor. They view Tony Stark as Robert Downey Jr., which... Yeah, as one know, kind of symbiotic thing, but but then when yeah. you break it down, they're, they're there to see the actor. Uh, it's, yeah. it's such an interesting discussion. It really is. I'm, there's so many more that I'm in my head I'm like trying to think of. I mean, like um when somebody new played harrison uh, played han solo uh, only only harrison falcon but we're, we're only going to come and watch him as harrison okay fine and it's <laughs> proved to be the point because nobody went to see that film 393 million dollars says otherwise um godfather yeah, too says otherwise too great point yeah a uh, great counter to that um it's a really interesting point and I, I i think you know there are there are heroes on both sides of the arguments and 
there is no real right or wrong answer, but I do think what you're saying and the, the analysis that you're bringing in terms of from the golden age until now, the, uh, the, the era of the movie star has slowly eroded over time to the point mm-hmm. now where it is, you, you know, you can look at it as the era of the IP or the character, you know, people people like people don't people don't care who's under the suit when they just want to watch the mandalorian they don't care who's underneath it they just want to uh, see the mandalorian a great counter with the mcu is people the debate about chadwick boseman as black panther you know there was yeah. a huge backlash when when people were uncertain there were there is a camp who say they should have just recast him and kept t'challa yeah. with a new actor and then there's a lot yeah, of people who are like are you kidding no yeah. way so it, you know interesting again um yeah how that played out because i think there are uh you know when i say i think majority too i don't there's obviously still people like us who are attached to actors over characters but i think right now it feels like the majority of your your more casual moviegoers are much more attached to character than than the people playing them. yeah i think you're right yeah and like i said this this could this could go on all night and i think yeah. it'd be a damn good show if we kept going but for the sake of brevity and time I'm going to have to cut yeah. you off there, JB. I'm so sorry. Do it. Cut <laughs> you have it to off. cut me off as well. But um, no, yeah, again, people listening, are, are you there to see the actor? Are you there to see the character? You know, wh- where, where's your head at when it comes to this? It's and there, there are no right or wrong answers, which is the beauty of it. Um, but for our sake, because we can talk forever, let's move on to our next segment, which is called Media Consumption, where we talk about the movies, TV, uh, video games, music, podcasts, which aren't ours, whatever we've used to pass the time. Oh since the last episode jb what the heck have you been checking out since last week so uh blank check uh the episode for seven dropped because i in my head the game had to come out before seven but i was wrong um seven is before the game which comes uh, this coming week we'll have that episode but um the Doughboys, which is a podcast i've not listened to but they're like big friends with the blank check guys i need to check that podcast out um but they, they were on this episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun. A very long episode, like three hours long. But it was a really good episode for Blankies. And I don't know what the Doughboys fans are called, but alike. Um, Doughboys. Caught some movies. Uh, Persona. Um, the okay. uh, Partly because we're bringing back another podcast, folks. Um, the new John Carney film, Flora and Son. Which yes, is going to be okay. on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, if you're a Carney fan, I, I definitely recommend... Uh, it's music is not as good as Sing Street or Once, but it's it's got the same love of music and the heart uh, there. Um, so I caught Daisies from 1966, which is way too avant-garde for my taste. Um, <laughs> it didn't quite register. And also I found the girls to be quite annoying. Um, there's kind of supposed to be, but that didn't make it enjoyable to watch. But then... Um, I got to see uh, a film that I think I can talk about because it's, it's I'm not under embargo, but um, I saw for the I think it's the Woodstock Film Festival. Um, I used to be funny, which stars Rachel. Sin- I, I have to learn how to say her name. Uh, is it Senate? So no, she is. I'm in say Bottoms. Um, OK, so Rachel uh, Senate or Senat. I don't know how to say it. Uh, she is becoming one of my favorite actresses. Um, I first saw her bodies, bodies, bodies. But uh, I have now seen most of her films. Um, she This year, we have Bottoms. Last year, we also had Shiva Baby. And now, uh, I used to be f- uh, Funny, which was, uh, I think, premiered at South By or something like that earlier this year. Man, it's she's just such a good performance um, all the, in every movie I've seen her. And she's able to 
to bring this naturalism to all of her characters that's just like this easygoing like everything she does just feels so real and and a true reaction to what's happening around her whether it's anxiety or depression or humor um she seems to be able to do it all and the movie is intense but great um caught only murders in the building episode seven i think it is um really loving the season it might be eight i don't i'm I'm, i think it was eight uh (laughs) but such a good season i'm i think there's 10 episodes in the season so i'm kind of wondering how it's going to end uh but very compelling um video games i bought mortal kombat one oh there's that new one it is the brand new one and man for i've been a huge mortal kombat fan since i was a kid like i was too young playing the original one in the arcade i was probably like 11 or 12 when the first one dropped and then mortal kombat 2 and 3 i spent like a solid year or more going to the arcade every weekend playing we'd have like 20 or 30 people like surrounding this arcade cabinet people putting quarters on the machine and i was pretty good at it. i've never been like the best but i was always like you know I'd, I'd win some and i'd stay on the machine for a little while i was a button so i i used to uh really into it then i got back into mortal kombat really with nine um i didn't play 10 or 11 as much as i thought i would because i was like really into nine uh this one has grabbed me though i have i love this game i already beat the story um, but I, I have no desire to put it down. Like, it's just, it's, it's relaxing and stressful. Like it's not easy, but it's like, it just feels good to play. Um, it's still the same level of uber violence. They, they, there's a lot of throwback in this one. It's a resetting of the story. If you've played 11, it kind of continues with how 11 ends, but it, it, this is like the, the first version of the game where you're like at the very first, well, not the very first, but you're in an early stage of the tournament, more so than MK, the original Mortal Kombat. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool reimagining of some characters, and it's it's awesome. Love it so much. I almost didn't buy it. I'm really glad I did. Uh, not to mention, I don't know if you've seen Matt, but we're getting some really cool uh, DLC characters later. Yes, uh, I that, have seen these. Homelander, Peacemaker, and Omni-Man are all going to be in this game That's at so some cool. point. And yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. We've had some really cool characters though in the past. We've had Jason and Freddy and Predator and Alien, like so. Uh, and they've always done pretty good justice to these things. So I'm excited to see how these guys play. Um, and lastly, my favorite musician, Kay Flay, her new album Mono dropped on the 15th. Um, I've listened to it probably five or six times already. Uh, it, it's it's so good. I'm a big, big fan of hers. She's actually in the UK right now, Matt, uh, traveling uh, over there in Europe. So see if Kayflay's coming because she puts on a heck of a show. Um, I'll try and say hello to her for you. Yeah, I, I got to see her in May um, after uh, I've been, I've only been a fan for a few years. I think 2020 is when I really started listening <laughs> to her stuff. But I listened to her stuff a lot and um, I was really hyped for this album. Um if you have Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon, if you haven't heard of Kayflay, I please give it a chance. I don't feel like enough people really know w- what she's in, but she's in a lot of soundtracks. Um, she has one of the best songs on the uh, the Harley Quinn um, in the Birds of Prey movie uh, called mm-hmm. Bad Memory, which is fantastic. Um, she did, did the... the Mona, was she on? What's that? Was she on the Mona? That album, she is. Anime? She's the T-Rex song at the, uh, the credits, uh, when the credits start. At the end of Nimona, that's her, which is incredible. Um, that movie's also incredible. If you haven't seen Nimona, please watch that. Um, yeah, that's that's what I've been consuming, though. Uh, a lot of stuff. Um, I'm also I'm five chapters into an audiobook that I started today called um, The House of the Cerulean Sea. 
That sounds posh. It, it's not. Uh, it's a fantasy novel, but it's a standalone fantasy novel. Apparently, it's not a franchise, um, and it's it's kind of cool. It's got there's definitely like a Miss Peregrine vibe to it in that like um, you're following your main character is a caseworker uh, who goes to orphanages that have superpowered children, um, and right. like it's it's kind of interesting. Um, so there's like X Men vibes and there's Peregrine vibes, which obviously Peregrine feels like tim burton's x-men um but uh yeah i'm i'm again chapter five i'm kind of compelled uh i'm i'm definitely like intrigued by the overall premise and the fact I, when i started this i was under the impression that it was like because i, I heard it was fantasy i thought it was going to be this like oh boy i'm going to get into like sucked into a franchise and then i found out it's a standalone so i can just enjoy this book and i'm kind of liking that so uh yeah uh, a friend recommended it and i had an audible credit so i snagged it um it's it's definitely interesting. Tweet. I I can't say I've heard of it, but it sounds fun. Um, uh, I need to I, I I need to I need to start branching out into different types of audio books. I'm like video games. I just kind of listen to the ones that I want to listen to, rather than being a bit adventurous sometimes with my free Audible credit each month and thinking, no, you know, I, I still might dabble in horror or sci-fi, but let's listen to that one, which I may not have any attachment to, and never know hope for the best you might find a new favorite story out of it so um i always say i should be like book and i'm going to try to be like book when it comes to audio books as well um right what have i been checking out jb not an awful lot this week because i was struck down in my prime this week is what i'm saying anyway so i wanted to go to the theater to watch a couple of things this weekend but um alas i couldn't do that so instead I listened to Nightmare on Film Street. They had a uh, an interview with the directors of the latest horror anthology called Satanic Hispanics. Well, I love a horror anthology all over that. I haven't yet seen this. It's it was in, it's been in my inbox for what well, feels like months, but weeks at least. We'll say I haven't got around to kind of logging in and checking it out, but uh, I will do soon. But the, the directors Alejandro Bruges, Mike Mendez, Gigi Sorgonello, and Eduardo Eduardo Sanchez of the Blair Witch Project fame all have a story in 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 this film and. Uh, I enjoyed listening to the passion of the directors as they spoke to the guys over there, Kim and John from Nightmare and Film Street. And it's a film I'd like to check out soon, I hope. So, listeners, we apologize. We had a major technical issue where Matt's internet dropped completely. Uh, apparently, all of Europe with Skynet or Sky Internet um, is down, and there's nothing we can do about it. So, I am finishing this up uh instead so matt was just on his media consumption he was just at the end of it um when we lost connection so uh we're gonna get go to bloody awesome we were both staying hydrated um matt because he had a kidney stone as he mentioned earlier in the podcast and uh me because matt had a kidney stone and i'm like oh i want to make sure i'm staying hydrated so i've been drinking excess amounts of water i already feel like i drink a lot of water i'm drinking even more um we thank you for listening. We will be back next week uh, covering Expendables 4 or Expendables. It's written weird. It has a 4 in it for some reason in the in the word Expendables. It doesn't really work, but, you know, it's been done before. Seven did it. Um, in the meantime, uh, until we're back next week, and apologies, we won't have a spoiler episode for the same reason we can't record it now. And this is the day we record. So, uh no spoilers, but it would probably just be us bad-mouthing the movie more, so we didn't love it. Um, 
that would be haunting in venice follow us on social media on twitter we're at bamp underscore podcast i never say the twitter name uh, so that messed me up instagram we're on bloody awesome movie pod and also threads facebook you can search bloody awesome movie podcast find us there um we are rotten tomatoes approved podcast uh matt specifically um individually you can follow me at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms and matt is at what i watch tonight.co.uk and search what i watch tonight on all those socials uh and you can find him there if you like the show, we ask that you take a minute, give us that five-star rating on whatever podcast catcher you use to listen, and we're going to be bringing back Movie Astrology. That's our other podcast. It's on a different subscription, so you have to follow that one, but if you like this podcast, that is where we take a single year in cinema, and we go deep into it, uh, focusing on the top ten. We're going to be changing up the format. It's going to be a monthly podcast now, um, and we're going to take a year and break it into six episodes. Uh, the first episode will be introducing what the year is and like the, the movies that are from that year that didn't make the top 10 by box office. And then the rest will be two movies per episode as we go through the top 10 of the year's box office. Uh, Matt and I will alternate watching the movies. Um, so I might watch the even ones and he might watch the odd ones. Uh, so that we'll both be coming to the episode with having seen probably only one of the two films we're talking about and discussing it. So if you like this show, um, go back and listen to the old episodes of Astrology. That was a very different format, but we covered like the entire year. It was like a two or a half hour episode. Now it's going to be smaller episodes, but more frequent um, and a little more consistent. So we're excited to be bringing that back. Uh, we like diving into those those old movies and, and uh, really pushing our, our watch list because uh, some of those years that have iconic films, those movies are iconic now, but they didn't necessarily make it into the top 10 box office. So sometimes we're watching movies that nobody has seen in years, but the year they came out, they just blew up at the box office. So Movie Astrology, uh, search that on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Um, you can find that and subscribe. But we'll be back with this podcast next week where, again, we're reviewing Expendables 4. With that, um, Matt would say, stay bloody awesome. And I say, keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, 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 blood,